Hello and welcome to this month's episode of our Diversity in Inclusion podcast or vodcast addressing the elephant in the room. I'm Lindsay Bridges and during this series I will be exploring DHL supply chain UK and Ireland's journey on our DNI agenda. We'll be addressing a range of diversity topics through talking to colleagues and to external partners. Today, I am delighted in this episode to be talking to Jed Darling, the CEO of Dublin Pride. Jed and I will be exploring the history of Pride, the challenges that the LGBTQ community face in the workplace, and what organisations like DHL can do to support. So Jed, we all know Pride from the perspective of the parade and the festival, but I know there's a lot more to the Pride organisation. So could you start by sharing a little bit of the history of uh, of Dublin Pride and what you guys focus on today? Yeah, so I suppose Dublin Pride um, started off a similar time to a lot of Prides around the world. There's the famous Stonewall event, which a lot of people will have heard about, the, the Stonewall riots in New York in 1969 that gave birth to the modern Pride movement. Uh, what's interesting is if you look at other countries, if you look at Dublin, if you look at London, you'll find that at the same time they were starting to have LGBT rights movements of their own going along that were independently existing. Dublin Pride itself in 1983 had an event that kind of pushed it forward and is seen as the birth of the modern Dublin Pride movement and there was a it, it was a young man called Declan Flynn has been murdered and following the, the release of the people who had killed him there was a huge protest march um, interestingly his work colleagues from Arianta were amongst one of the groups who came and supported it and this was the first ever huge LGBT march that happened in Ireland as an organisation, Dublin Pride itself has expanded over the years from the point of being entirely volunteer run, just running an annual parade and festival, to now where we operate all year round. We have a workplace diversity programme where we do training with our partners. We run a number of different events for various marginalised groups within the community. Um, and we have a second festival in the winter because summer, uh, one festival isn't enough for anyone. Oh, that sounds great. I'm, I'm really interested to know in the work that you do with, with companies and why does Dublin Pride choose to work with organisations? I suppose over the years we have had a lot of involvement with businesses because everyone knows that businesses like to come to Pride because their workers come out and they join in the parade. We have, you know, Tesco is our platinum sponsor and they're leading out the parade every year with their big truck. And one of the things we wanted was to be able to say to absolutely everybody that every business that gets involved in Dublin Pride is here for more than just the day. So over time we developed a program we call pride at work it's similar to there's a lot of pride at work programs around the world so we have our own one where we basically establish that the relationship we have with our sponsors and with our pride partners who get involved in the festival and the parade is something that goes beyond a parade so we decided that we would start um, introducing training events so we, we started off with an annual conference where we brought everyone together um, and the first time we did it we brought all of our community partners together but we also brought people from all the different LGBT groups that were working in Dublin and Ireland so that we could introduce everyone to each other so that they knew who the community was that it wasn't just us that there were a lot of others 
Um, and then since then, we've expanded that out into more individual training programs. And it, it does make a huge difference because what we've found over the years is that a lot of businesses who want to get involved in Pride what they want to do is support their LGBT staff and workers. And the most obvious thing that came to their mind was, well, let's get involved in Pride. But then they realized, well, actually, that's not enough, really, because that's just for one day. So it, it worked well in that as they were realizing that they have to do more than be involved with the parade. We were launching our training programs and our various other initiatives. Um, and the two have worked very well together. So it's it's something that we've been expanding. Um, we had our online conference there earlier in the year and we, we, we had a huge attendance. We had several hundred. We actually had people from 20 different countries take part in the Dublin Pride Pride at Work conference. I guess that's been one of the benefits of moving things virtual. You can expand that quite easily, right? Yeah, it, it, it really does. It opens things out. Um, there's a lot of things that virtual can't replace, um, mm. but at the same time, there's a lot of positives to it. And I think uh, definitely it's something that we're going to be sticking with. It's going to be hybrid events from now on. That sounds good. If I think about the partnership or the integration that you have with, with companies and organisations, you know, have you got any examples of, of where this works really well? If you look at a company that has LGBT staff inclusion as a priority, mm -hmm. It is more than just showing up for a festival or a parade. There has to be kind of there has to be different elements to it because what you have is LGBT people have a history and a legacy of discrimination in the workplace. Like there's no there's no way of escaping that. That's the reality up until very recently, even in the UK and Ireland, it was perfectly legal to discriminate against LGBT people. There's almost an onus on employers to make the effort to show that they have moved along with the times. It shows staff themselves that their employers do actually care because they're doing something. And one of the key elements of our partnership arrangements is it's not enough to just support pride. You have to support other things. You have to support other LGBT organizations that are actually doing support and advocacy work. Um, and that shows your staff that you do actually, you do mean what you're saying. You're not just here for a day because you're doing something practical. Um, it also allows staff to feel proud of their employer mm -hmm. because they get to feel proud of the fact that they are working for a company that is doing good. Um, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, in terms of actually it's more than just that one day or that one event. And that's quite important for us as DHL because we're trying really hard to to build an LGBTQ plus network where people have that safe space in work to talk to others in the same community that maybe sometimes they don't have in their family or in their friendship group. But the concept of allies is, is really important to me because we need to help people feel comfortable being an ally. Yeah, that, that was it. And it was in the context of that where some of the surveys and studies on homophobic bullying in the workplace found that more people had considered themselves to be bullied. And this is where an ally comes in because the ally doesn't have all the baggage that you have. Your ally is the one who has your back. It's not just that they're speaking out for you, it's that they actually have your back. And that's what being an ally really is. It's, it's watching out and it can be more powerful when your straight friend at work 
notices that you're being homophobically bullied and stands up for you because maybe you wouldn't have bothered because you're just so used to it at this stage that you're just letting it go. Um, so that's kind of the, the idea of how an ally can really support their LGBTQ plus colleagues. And the thing is, everyone can be an ally to someone. So nobody is LGBTQ plus, your L or your G or your T. So you can be an ally. So I can be an ally to my trans siblings. But I can also be an ally to the working mums within the organisation that I'm with. I can be an ally to maybe the senior citizens who are still um, in, in the workplace. So we can all be allies to someone else. And that's the expectation is that if you create the spirit of allyship, suddenly everybody is getting something out of it because everybody needs a friend at some point. I love that, the spirit of allyship. I really like that. I'm going to take that away. Um, I mean, I've I've talked to a number of LGBT colleagues in our business, also friends and family, actually, from the community. And I hear many things around issues that um, that they face, you know, in, in life, in social life and in ordinary work life, but also in the workplace. So maybe you can help expand a little bit more on what those challenges are that that community faces in particular. The LGBTQ community still faces discrimination. If you take Ireland, for example, up until 1993, it was illegal to be homosexual. Um, you could be imprisoned in the UK for a long time. You look at some of the um, discriminatory practices. Um, you know, the, the history is there, which means that LGBT people can't assume that they're going to be treated fairly in the workplace. What you also have is because that history and legacy is there, there are still a lot of people who do discriminate against LGBTQ people. A lot of statistics recently have been very positive where they say that 75 and 80% of the population support full equal rights for LGBTQ people. But that still means that there's 20% that don't. And that's actually a huge number when you're talking about populations of 50 million plus. Um, it's also when you look at the age profile of them, because we know younger people are more likely to be liberal, then you have a situation where the percentage of people maybe over 50 who don't believe in equal rights is a lot higher. And of course, the percentage of employers and senior managers is higher when you get over 50 because that's just a way of life. Um, so there is discrimination and there's a history of discrimination there. And it's something that LGBTQ people do face. Uh, some people face it more than others. Trans people, um, we know, uh, especially in somewhere in the UK, we've seen huge discrimination, persecution against the trans community recently. It's a real thing that exists. And that's something that needs to be tackled. And because people spend so much time in the workplace and because so much of this discrimination that, that does exist comes in the workplace, it does put a responsibility on employers to see, well, what can they do to tackle it? And, you know, if I'm if I'm an LGBTQ plus person in the workplace and I'm I'm experiencing something that doesn't feel maybe like the right behavior, whether that's, you know, full out discrimination or bullying or whether that's more subtle, could be labeled banter. You know, what's what's your uh, what's your view on how people actually feel? they can deal with that these days how comfortable are they escalating that i think a lot better than in the past 
people know now that there is employment equality legislation. They know that there is a protocol to follow. They know that they can report. They know that these things aren't tolerated anymore. But again, you can't make the assumption that everyone will feel comfortable reporting. You, you have to see where the onus has to be on the employer not the employee um, and i think unless an employer has made it very clear and has laid out this is our policy unless they put a giant sign saying we do not tolerate discrimination then you can't expect the oppressed person to feel comfortable going to report it to them because they've already been discriminated against they've already been harassed the confidence level to then go up to the next level and report it that doesn't always exist and as you say, you can't expect you can't expect the person who is the weaker party to be the stronger person. So it, it needs to be something that's going from the top. It has to be a very clear message that it's not tolerated and that there is a reporting mechanism. I, I like some of the suggestions you've got, making it very visible from the top, making it clear. What else could organizations do to help? Well, I think by being visibly supportive of their LGBTQ staff, they need to be making a point and you know that could be as simple as nailing a rainbow flag to the wall during june and you know it might seem the obvious thing but if you're not doing it and the question is why did why do you not have it up because i could walk down the road to five other companies and they do have it so there is that visible thing and then i think backing everything up with actual actions is if you're saying you support lgbtq plus people are you actually doing it because we know that every large company has its corporate social responsibility programs. We know that it's standard for them to support charities, to support various um, initiatives within their communities. Are you supporting LGBTQ causes? Are you giving, are you giving money to charities and community projects that support this section of, of your staff? Because that's a very clear demonstration that you do actually mean what you're talking about um and i think it's it's that it, it's the high visibility but with action behind it that gives people more confidence that you are serious in what you're saying so three takeaways i think for me there one is that that very clear policy statement around not tolerating that kind of behavior then some visibility and some symbolism i guess around it as well and then backing that up with action let me move on to, to talking about this uh, symbolism. I've recently come across this term pinkwashing, and I, I must admit, Jed, I don't really understand it. Perhaps you could explain that a little bit to me and for our, for our listeners. Yeah, so I think this is a term that's come up uh, quite a bit recently. Uh, it's worth noting that the term pinkwashing doesn't actually refer to the LGBTQ community. Um, it actually came from back in 1992 i think we started the pink ribbon breast cancer awareness program and what was happening is there were companies who were promoting breast cancer awareness and putting themselves up as very um very good and very moral but they were actually producing the chemicals and products or distributing chemicals and products that were causing cancer in the first place so we come up with the phrase of pink washing it's kind of similar to green washing um, and white washing and it's kind of a, it, it's a thing that's that's now taken popularity as a phrase because so many people are doing it mm -hmm. it's a situation where somebody is putting forward the appearance that they're doing something good when actually behind the scenes they're not 
So what you have is you have companies who will go out with a pride flag and they'll put a big pride branding and they'll get involved maybe with pride and say, we support our LGBTQ staff. But at the same time, they're donating to right-wing conservative parties that are pushing an anti-LGBT agenda. Or at the same time, they're not supporting other human rights. Fundamental human rights are a core issue of the Pride movement. So if you're waving a Pride flag, but you're not giving equal rights to migrant workers or to, uh, you're not showing gender equality or you're practicing modern day slavery or you're involved in any of these things, well, then you're clearly pinkwashing. Now, what sometimes people confuse it is, well, you just are jumping on the bandwagon because it's Pride Month. If you're only supporting Pride issues during Pride Month, yeah, you need to do a little bit more. But at the same time, every charity and every movement has a period during the year where it has a mass campaign. And Pride for our community is one of our periods where we have a mass campaign because we're raising money to pay for all sorts of things. So we, we have always used Pride to raise money for our community. The difference now is instead of it being the corner shop who gave a couple of hundred euro towards the, the Pride event or towards awards with the charity campaigns now it's giant corporations who are giving much larger amounts of money but it's it's the same history it's the same thing that's always been done and there's a huge balancing act because there are companies who will want to get involved in pride who absolutely do not meet the credentials and the principles of the pride movement and have no place there um, Dublin Pride, I think, is no different. Many prides in that we have had to say no on more than one occasion to companies and just say, I'm sorry, you can't come here because you don't represent our values. Um, so within, going back to pinkwashing, yes, it's a definite thing. It's a real thing. And we all need to be careful that we don't fall into that. We also need to make sure that we don't use it as a cop-out because pride is very important for a lot of community organizations who will use that to raise funds to operate youth projects, projects for senior citizens, projects for migrants, projects for other people all year round. Um, so there's, it's something that I think needs to be talked about more so that people understand exactly what it is and why we just need to be careful of it. That's interesting. So I think what you're saying is pinkwashing is much more about companies saying one thing and supporting one thing, but actually doing something that contradicts that uh, in the background. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the um, the charity fundraising side. So you, you said a moment ago that Dublin Pride and other Pride organisations raise funds for the community. But what kind of activities is it important that uh, that Pride supports for the LGBTQ plus community? There are a lot of organizations that are constantly working to support and advocate for LGBTQ plus people, and whether that's providing mental health services, whether it's providing support for victims of crime, whether it's providing um, respite for people who are living in countries that persecute LGBTQ plus people, still 70 countries in the world where it's illegal. Um, all of them need funding. They all need money. And 
most people are surprised when we say these figures. Um, it's because they aren't aware of it. And because they're not aware of it, they're not putting their hand in their pocket because it has never occurred to them. So events like Pride and other events over the years, they become really important because it puts a spotlight on this. So, you know, Pride is coming up in a month and you've invited me here and I'm talking to you. And probably for a lot of people, this is the first time you've ever realised or heard that up to 40% of young homeless people are LGBT. And that's a figure that's being borne out in the UK, in Ireland, and the United States, in first world countries. Pride puts that spotlight on it and then creates the fundraising mechanisms. Jed, I have one final question for you. If you had one wish for the CEO of a big multinational corporation, what would it be? Very simple. Um, give us the money. Um, it's really simple. Uh, we have, there's a wonderful network of LGBT organisations across the UK and Ireland. There's, in Ireland, you've got organisations like Belong To, LGBT Ireland, Tenny. In the UK, you've got Stonewall, you've got various other ones. They know what to do. They know how to help their community. They just need the funding. And if you're the CEO of a huge company, well, you've got the checkbook. And the you know there's a legacy there you know there's a bit of restitution i think owed to us as well but that would be the one thing that i ask is give the funding to the people who know how to fix the problem and then they'll be able to fix the problem so jed thank you really interesting to talk to you today i was um, particularly interested in terms of the, the fundraising and the need to support all age groups through the community from from young people right the way through I took on board what you said about what companies can do around policy, around action and around visibility. And the thing that resonated for me really was um, it's OK to celebrate Pride during Pride Week or Pride Month and make that a thing as long as it's an integral part of the diversity and inclusion agenda all year round. And it's not just for once a day. So I think that's that's a really important message. So. Thank you very much for that. I really enjoyed talking to you and good luck with the, with the Virtual Pride Festival next month. Thank you very much. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode and watch out for our next episode of D&I addressing the elephant in the room when I will be discussing diversity that's hidden or not immediately obvious. And I'm pleased to let you know you can watch us on YouTube or you can listen via Spotify or iTunes. Thanks again. See you next month.